This is the American Cinematographer Podcast. My name is Ian Stasikevich, and I'm a contributing writer for American Cinematographer Magazine. In this episode, we'll be speaking with director of photography Barry Markowitz about his latest film, Crazy Heart, starring Jeff Bridges. You might recognize Barry's work from other films like Sling Blade, uh, The Apostle, or All the Pretty Horses. Barry's work is the kind of work that's, you know, while you can describe it as uh, very natural and very realistic, it, it's definitely, it definitely has a character all its own. Uh, it, it's always speaking the same language, uh, uh, the same sort of visual vocabulary of the story that's being told. And uh, that's why we wanted to, to talk to him and, and, you know, you know, he knows how to tell a story and he had a few to share with us. So without further ado, this is a cinematographer, Barry Markowitz, ASC, talking about the film Crazy Heart. Barry, why don't we begin with you telling us a little bit about yourself? I'm a yeshiva boy from Brooklyn, originally. Payas, you know, long strings coming out of the side of my pants. My parents were survivors of the Holocaust. I graduated the Hebrew University in Jerusalem and uh, got a degree in Jewish history, taught that for a few years, and said, this baby's not for me. So I got a job in a rental house cleaning camera cases, worked my way up, and here I got lucky. And what was it specifically that drew you to the art of cinematography? Well, I, I didn't, I confess, I didn't know anything about pictures or taking anything. My father, you know, found the camera, got it fixed. He found it actually in the garbage, uh, getting off the bus from work. And, and he gave it to me and, and uh, got, some, uh, got it fixed and... Uh, Shot some stills and it was nice, but th that was kind of like the it wasn't that was kind of the little beginning. A friend of mine was doing a documentary on Jews to New York, a history historical thing for the bicentennial. So he needed a producer who spoke Yiddish and Hebrew, and that was me. And we three ways of Jewish immigration, in New York. We got a grant. It was on PBS. Through that friend, I got into Furco, the camera rental house, cleaning cases, meeting the assistants, meeting the DPs coming in collimating their lenses, and from there, sparking, saying, hey, I can do this. This is interesting. And uh, I saw a future in it. I moved through the ranks, second assistant camera first. When I went to camera assistant, I took the test. I knew all the guys because I would prep their cameras that gave the test. So I did well. And uh, although I remember one roll fell out of the bag. It rolled all the way down the aisle. <laughs> they're all looking at me I'm taking my test the film's rolling down the aisle that was actually funny but uh, it was unbelievable but I got lucky I got uh, uh, from the I got into the union because I was good I knew the stuff I had to learn procedure I hooked up with Garrett Brown who was uh, my mentor and in a big big way him and Ellen Shire's wife they had a commercial he directed she produced in Philly and I went out there he was Iatsi I was Nabit but we did all these jobs together, and it was it got me in with like a lot of people. I started working with Bob Giraldi with the as, as a focus puller with Danny Quinn. May rest in peace. With we was doing Beat It. We were doing all of a sudden. I'm working for the best guys, and and things are moving, you know. And and I'm uh, I can say I'm somebody, you know. It, it was pretty cool. And so that's when you made the jump to cinematographer. I met a still guy who wanted to be a director. So we kind of collaborated. We worked, and I learned his lighting from stills. And we f it was motion pictures, but he lit it like oh, everything like a still shot. And uh, 
I learned from him, him, Gil, Gil Cope, and 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 it was terrific. Uh, all this, you know, after a while, I had a reel, but it was the Gil Cope reel. People would say, "Oh, I know Gil Cope." When I showed my reel, "Oh, he's a good." That's his lighting. <laughs> I couldn't beat him. Beat him would join him. I killed myself on the set, and then I said, "They," said, and then they were all interiors. They said, "Where's your exteriors?" <laughs> so it was like a, it was hard getting started, but by God's grace, uh, you know, it, it happened. It happened. What was it that happened? Along the way, I met people. Robert Duvall helped me out. I know him for like 30 years, 25 years. Don't want to give up my age. He's introduced me and given me a chance naturally to shoot the apostle. I did with him and uh, introduced me to Billy Bob. The result was the Sling Blade. Bobby's company, Butcher's Run Film, along with Robert Carliner. Judy Cairo, here they put their uh, ideas together and came up with the script, Crazy Heart. I've seen the film, but maybe you could describe what it's about for those who don't already know. Crazy Heart's about a country music singer, Bad Blake. He's all, he's, he's, whether he's country music or any kind of music, it's a story that's really the, the bottom line, as we say in Yiddish, the talkless. The bottom line, uh, the guy's down on his, you know, he's been through it. He, he's had a hard life. It's, 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 a, it's a Merle Haggard mentality. It's Waylon. It's all those guys. And he, he, he's going from bar to bar, bowling alley to bowling alley, spiraling down, drinking, smoking, and really lost Somebody wants to interview him for the local newspaper, one of the guys in the band's niece. It's Maggie Gyllenhaal, and she has a child. The husband's no longer around. She interviews him, and there is some heart-to-heart there throughout the film. And he tries to naturally, as may have a goal in his life, to straighten out. And uh, there's a side story with the guy who used to play Back up, you know, lead open the opening act has now become the big act. That's Colin Farrell, and Colin's begging Bad Blake, which is his character uh, Jeffs, to write more songs for him. To write songs for him, you know, and uh, it's quite quite an interesting relationship they have. What was your relationship like with uh, the director Scott Cooper? Uh, what were your initial conversations uh, before shooting commenced? We talked about, I said to him, Scott, uh, uh, the director, when I first got the script, and we talked about more exteriors, open it up, the guy travels, he agreed, 150%. Then we spoke about uh, the secondary stuff, which was interiors. I brought up the interiors, like I said, look, there's bars, there's bowling alleys, there's uh, small motel rooms, could be claustrophobic. You know, so naturally that was why I said let's get outside. But you know, I didn't. I want to use wide-angle lenses in there because you got to get back into the corner and, and shoot a room kind of thing, not just one side of the room. And I didn't want it to bend. So we had some interesting, and you couldn't dolly around in there too much. But you know what? It. Why am I moving when two people are sitting in a chair? You know. <laughs> There we go again, you know. Why move the camera? If you're going to move it and you have a three-minute scene, you move it, you know, in three minutes. You move it three or four feet. 
you know, and that's the end of it. You don't even notice you're moving. So those are the things we talked about. And, you know, I told him how I was going to do it and, you know, how, well, I th- how I thought it would best be done. And then I let him mull that over. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to do the same thing over and over. So we, we, we kind of try to mix it up a lot. We discussed that. This is Scott's first feature, isn't it? Even though they say first-time director, he's a good actor. But he, he, they say first-time director, he's, it's, I don't know about that, that title. You know, that's a weird title. Because these people have been around filmmaking, and they've seen films, and they're students of films, Scott. and So he knew his way around. You know, and we did a nice collaboration. You know, I told him if it's a good idea, it's his. If it sucks, it's mine. You know, and then we got along real well. <laughs> Now, you've mentioned that you've also worked with Billy Bob Thornton and Nick Cage in, in sort of a directorial capacity. And do you find that uh, these actors who step behind the camera bring a kind of a different perspective to the filmmaking process? Some like to get more involved with than others, you know? Like Billy, when he first started out, he, he wasn't... He knew the stuff, but he was more of in his world because he had a lot on his head. He, had, he was directing. He wrote it. So I, I kind of like, I didn't want to bug him. So I just did my thing and say, here it is, buddy. You know, he say, and the, he say, how about the bazooka? Bring out the bazooka. That was the zoom lens. <laughs> so we kind of stayed with primes. So, you know, and I gave him the spiel about how clear it is, the glass, is that. He was a big learner. If they don't know any, uh, as much as, as, as you may know because that's your craft, they're all big learners. They're open. They want to see it. I put the lens right in their face. You know, this is what we're looking at. These guys, they know what they're doing. I, I, I hate giving credit to myself too much. But, yeah, I have to lead the way. I love doing it. And, uh, and I propose, and they usually like it. It's nothing out of the ordinary. It's, it's you know, hey, we got to get a master, you know, so let's, let's, let's get the master, you know. Let's do it once. <laughs> That's what I say. Is there anything that you've, you've learned from them? Patience. You know? <laughs> I'm ready to go, buddy. Pull that trigger. I mean, it's got to be right, naturally. But that's the kind of thing. Gives the director in the end more takes, more time. And it's his ball game, you know? So, I, you know, I serve first the master, uh, the, the, the script. I serve the director. Uh, I serve all of us. But, my, you know, I got to... Give him the most chances, you know. And uh, my crews have been terrific, you know. We have so much fun. Your crews, do you tend to work with a lot of the same people? They wouldn't let me work with the same with anybody on Crazy Heart that I knew except for the assistant, Tim Walker. Judy Cairo was kind. She she got him in from L.A., the guy who always worked with her. That was... Because, you know, the, it was low-budget film, and you have to hire there. And I wanted a second camera. We finally got one because they wanted more stuff. So, uh, although we were giving them good stuff, but they wanted more. I got a waiver to operate the first camera because I, I wanted the focus, which I'm, 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 I'm very temperamental about. You know, I believe that the focus, even though you have a focus puller, the, the last guy standing is the guy looking through. And I know it's hard, low light and the shutter moving, but I got to have an extra pair of eyes there for me. So I liked it. I said, okay, I can do one more, you know? So I, I got the waiver. Plus, I needed the money. The second operator, uh, his name was Beau Chaput. Is that correct? He did some great Steadicam work, this guy. And we shot the concert stuff we had with Jeff. We took over a concert 
Dunn and Brooks, they gave us eight minutes to shoot him and Colin, you'll see in the movie, on stage singing the major song. Eight minutes, one take. Four, uh, excuse me, four-minute song, and, you know, the intro, this, that. And we had one take. I had five cameras, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we're all shooting from the audience point of view and the side stage. Why did they only give you eight minutes? They were kind enough to let us uh, go right before their concert, use the audience, and, you know, explain to the audience what we're going to do, give out some free TVs, and then go crazy when Jeff Bridges comes out as Bad Blake and Tommy Sweet as Colin Farrell, and they're singing song together. Somebody filmed it on YouTube or something. You could see it there, the clip. And uh, then we did the song, and... You know, I just said to the guy, the lighting guy, I said, just give me an exposure. You know, I had 13 seconds to take a light reading, got the exposure, called it out. Everybody shot. You know, I told the guys, just get me some great stuff. You know, put some dollies down in the in the audience, standard stuff. But I, I couldn't get close-ups on these guys two feet from them because I had only one chance. And I couldn't use a steady cam on the only chance because I had five other cameras that would see them in the shot. And then Jeff says, everybody goes, good night, thank you very much. And they walks over, and then Jeff comes running out and says, one more time, one more take, let's go. And I threw the Steadicam guy out there. I got up on stage with him, and we did our roundy rounds with the Steadicam. Whatever we I, never, I never forget, I'm right behind the guy, me, him, and the focus puller. And we're like, I'm pushing him around to showing him, like, okay, now leave, the, leave this close-up. 20, 21 millimeters right in the face. And I'm yelling in the, in the operator's ear, this shit's going to open your reel, buddy. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. We were hysterical, you know. And, you know, we go around the head with the flares and the audience. And we got good stuff. We got the six, uh, we, we, you know, nine minutes later, it was over. You mentioned unconventional shooting before. And so what was it about the story that, you felt called for an unconventional approach. You know, it reads, it's a script that, that, that there's, a, there's great dialogue in it, you know? And, you know, I, I wanted it to have just a little bit of, like, salt somewhere on the uh, an edge of the... Of the I wanted the, the audience to look at them as lens-wise. So, we, we, you know, uh, a shot where it's subjective rather than objective where the audience feels like, even though it could be a close-up, how you define the close-up lets the audience into the guy's face, into his mind, right into his... Or you're a little further back, still looking into the guy, but you're further back. And, you you know, you know what I mean? It's kind of, for me, it was always a little creepier, you know? Like looking through a keyhole. So I pressed for that. And, you know, that's an obvious read in not using over-the-shoulder ear and, and, and shoulder, but going lower and shooting with some foreground and looking at the guy talking to him as the reverse. So sometimes, you know, I have a problem with the script because she said, what are you doing? You know, you're down here, you're up there. How's it going to cut? I said, I'm only six inches down, you know, or I'm, well, let's shoot the whole thing like this. So sometimes we'd have a little bit of a, talk and, and this and that. No arguments, just always... And, you know, there's only one way to shoot it. Two ways. <laughs> so we'd shoot it both ways. You know, sometimes. Sometimes we'd get our way. Master shots that would turn into two shots uh, semi-close-up. That would be three minutes long. 
And then they'd say, okay, now let's get the coverage. And, you know, sometimes I'd say to Scott, you know, what coverage? What are, you, what are they talking about? <laughs> and, we, you know, we'd get it. But, you know, when he, Scott had his hands on the editing, the first cut, and he, you know, he used it wisely, what we did. I like I, I I don't like to take credit for for the lighting too much because, uh, you know I do it I'm I, I know the lighting's great, you know I know bad lighting I know when I nail it you know and it's endless because you can light forever. Oh, I would have done that I should have done that Why didn't I do that You know if I had a little more time I would have taken that down I have it's endless, it's endless. So I like to come from the school of not even giving a thought, you know. I'm going to take it for granted. The sun comes through the window. The sun comes through the window. I mean, you know, unless you have to control it. But you've been in enough places where you see beautiful light. It's not hard to emulate. And to take a bow that, oh, look at that. You emulated that. It's me and a million guys before who know, the, who know how to emulate. Or a painter or a good still photographer. You know, that's the craft. I also do casement windows I can replace which I did as a kid, you know, work with glare. There's a million things people can do. So I don't like to put anything up. Oh, I was the lighting guy. Yeah, I know it. I know it. In Yiddish, they say a horse that knows he's a horse can never be a horse. So I, I skew on that. I take off on that. If you know you're great, you suck because you know you're great. So how, how great can you be if you know you're great? Kind of a thing. So, you know. Yeah. So, um, still talking about lighting here. Um, how do you know when you see something that's worth emulating? I look at the good lighting. I go, ooh, 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 like Car Fifty Four. Where are you, that guy? <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> I think that's my cue to good lighting. You know, dog noises. Oh, oh my God. Oh, 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 oh. You know, like that. And just you know, it's like backing in a truck or something. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. Stop. That's it. And, you know, there's, I guess lighting is subjective, but I get, and people who study lighting, the great DPs that come before me, they, you know, the, all the references are to, well, to painters because there's a guy that just takes something and from paint and makes, creates a, a, a contrast in your, you know, so that's, that's, I think the opening salvo. Or the guy who first thought about how to take a picture. Can you imagine? These are the guys that, you, you know, these are the guys. You know what I'm saying? The rest of us take their idea, not to belittle what we're doing. Some better than others, more tasty. I know better, more tasty than others, you know? And, you know, and that's, the way, that's the way they define it. You look at the big boys, you know, Russell and, and all these guys and, 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 you know, these great DPs, Gordy, and they know, they know what they're doing because they study, you know, the, the less light. Uh, look, some of the smart guys say the, the, the lighting thing is uh, less light. They say, you know, start with a dark room. They start with nothing and build, Right. That's I guess, that's the probably it's the lights you shut off. Somebody said also, you know, all these cliches, and or there are good ones. They're truths, they're paths to follow. 
Let's talk a little bit about where Crazy Heart was shot. Shot in Las Vegas, New Mexico, and uh, uh, up in the mountains around uh, Santa Fe and further north. Just a lot of great, great stuff. A little in Albuquerque, but mostly up and around Santa Fe. There's plenty there. Uh, you know, stuff that you discover that hasn't been shot. You know, it's just God's country out there. You go up the mountains up there towards Santa Fe. You're up there and you go the right time of day, right time of year. Cloud rain time. It's all around. Everywhere you look is just mind-boggling. Just keep panning your head around in a circle like the exorcist. And everything is just, I don't know, you know, Castaneda. What were some of your favorite locations? Outside of New Mexico, outside of Santa Fe, heading north, there's some country up there that we did the second unit stuff. There's some dams there, good fishing. Uh, it's just gorgeous. Some mountains up there that you juxtapose Jeff's truck going against it. It's a Chinese painting. You shoot from two miles, three miles away, you see this dusk headlights of the car. Behind him is like, is like the Grand Canyon. Behind him, a wall, walls going thousands of feet up. And in this sunken valley, which used to probably be a bottom of a lake or a river, probably a lake, you know, his car coming, free full as earth, you know, where you, the smoke's coming up behind the car. It's, you know, you can't believe it. You can't believe what you're looking at. You just... You're screaming and yelling while you're shooting the footage. And then the afterthought is it'll never make the cut. I actually edited, went and edited just the shots that I wanted in. So I junked the other ones, you know. So the editor had a good choice for, to choose from. So that was good. You had, I, I know that in the end product, I have a little tiny bit of control as to what would go in as photography-wise, as far as exteriors. You know, I mean, you can't miss out there. You're shooting two, three, five. You know, three perf, and you're you know you're either at five hundred millimeters or you're at you know ten millimeters, and clouds can't miss. You pan left, you got a, a a sunset with pink underlit clouds, and you pan right, and you got a a storm, lightning, all in the same day time <laughs> frame. They think you CGI'd it in, you know. It's kind of weird. It was so unreal. What kinds of challenges did you face, photographically speaking? I shot Bobby in a Bobby Duval and Jeff in a boat on a lake. Wanted to make it like we're out in the middle of the lake fishing, you know. And I, we figured, okay, I go down to the edge of the water, and I want to be over the water, thirty feet at least, you know, twenty feet over the water. So I need one of these long cranes, money, you know. Then we got the the, the edge of the. Is too soft, so we got to build a platform to take the thing, the weight, disperse it. And I see this thing growing on the scout, and I stuck to my guns because that's what I wanted. And but you know, I said to myself after a while, and she's talking with Judy, you know, maybe it's a better idea. Think of something else, you know. So I said, all right, look, knowing Bobby, he likes to work quick. If I go out in the middle of the lake or out, I'm going to have boat to boat. I'm going to need divers. I'm going to need boat to boat, weights, anchors, push it around, move it a little, 
make it look like they're not just, you know, the real thing. And then close-ups, you know, and, and, and coverage. And I said, God, this could turn into a clusterfuck. So I opted for, let me just get on the crane myself, get me out 12, 14 feet, whatever it is, where I could reach out, even 10 feet, and then tilt up a little. I'll look like I'm in the middle of the lake. Let me operate this one, one shot master wide that we're in the middle of the lake. Let me just boom down to the water thing, do something very simple, two shot on them. And at the end, Bobby starts to, to, to sing, which closes the movie. And I start coming up. And thank God I nailed it. The reason I mentioned I wanted to operate it myself is because I could have used the hothead there, just flung it out, a cheap one. You know, just watch it on the TV on the, on the shore and do the operating of the... Uh, uh, a hothead, yeah, just by itself out there with no operator. But, you you know, you have the danger of it going side to side as you come up the shot, not like rock solid if there's any wind. And, you know, I didn't know these guys with the rig. Who knows what they're doing? You know what I'm saying? It was like <laughs> I didn't trust that. So I got on, did the shot. Thank God I nailed one take. And it looks like we're in the middle of the lake. On the close-ups, I didn't want to go out in the middle of the lake doing that. So I just brought the boat into shore and they're doing their thing. And behind them is just endless lake twisted the boat around. They show shooting in the right screen direction, blah, blah, blah. It's great. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Jeff Bridges. Who's known for being an, an avid photographer. Did the two of you have any conversations on cinematography? The dude, or I call him the mensch. He's, he's got it all down. He showed up on the film every day with his 360, 280-degree camera that goes from side to side. If you stand next to him, you're in the shot. He's taking photos, black and whites. He's got a whole thing on his website, how to work the camera. It's unbelievable. I put his name on the slate, second, D, second DP, Jeff Bridges, right there. The guy was unbelievable. He'd stick his head out the car window at night so I wouldn't have to light inside the car, just get the street light. The guy was in focus marks. For, I never asked for focus marks, but on this shot, I needed a little bit to help. So we're wide open, you know, no depth of field, blah, blah, blah. I said, Jeff, uh, he says, can I help you? You know, yeah, well, it's good ideas, suggestions, you know. <laughs> I said, good, don't, don't tell the director or don't let the director see you talking to me, Jeff, because he's going to think we're making up shit, you know, like we'll be in trouble. He yeah, usually had good ideas, but wild frames, you know, which I bought into instantly. But, you know, sometimes you can't change a game plan. Ideas for... Shots, shots, shots. Another DP. He wasn't pushing them on me. He would he would always preface it with due respect. I said, Cut, just give me the... What's on you? You know, give me this stuff. He kind of lace it with niceties. He sounds like he's the, the kind of actor who's always keenly aware of, of the presence of the camera. There's one shot where he's drunk he, he, at night. He's the, the fans going around his room. He takes off, tries to get his pants off, falls in his bed. The camera's by the telephone on the floor, looking up at the edge of the bed where the pillow is, where the lamp is. We're on the floor down in there, looking up to the ceiling. And he falls right into a big fall too. Boom! Where his face comes two feet, foot and a half in front of the lens, nailed. And then he realized he's a few inches off, so he kind of, in, the, in, his, in his motion, he, re, he reestablishes himself another inch forward. And you, you see his eyes are sharp and his ear is soft, 
which is perfect. You know, it's just like, oh, God. It was just unbelievable. Guy helped me out. The other guys also, the, the, all the directors and all the actors, they, they kind of help you out, you know? I don't ask for focus marks. I just get them the whole way through before anybody's saying, okay, let's rehearse. I just get them, look through, say, that that mark there to the assistant, that trash bag there, that, that, that desk over there, that seat over there. If they reach there, this is it. And then we do the thing and we're ready. If you go somewhere else, all right, I'll get it. But all a big help. The actors, always a big help. Let's talk a little bit about the technical aspects of the film, um, starting with the film stock. Uh, I shot with the high-speed 500, you know, the uh, 52, 18, the whole way through, even outdoors. Uh, except second unit, I took a couple of thousand feet of uh, 50 ASA, I didn't want to confuse two cameras with two different stocks. I just, uh, maybe I'm paranoid. What kind of filtration were you using? I mean, shooting tungsten outdoors. Yeah, outdoors, you know, I jammed the, uh, I jammed all the neutral density filters I could get into the, into the hole. It looked like night when I looked through the eyepiece. But, you know, we wanted to shoot wide open, the usual good-looking thing. You know, we're shooting wider angle lenses. We want to defocus or have some kind of a chance for a defocused background on a 17 or a 21, and, you know. So I did that, used the primes as much as I could, every chance I could. Uh, didn't use any filters per se, except soft ND grads to enhance the blues. Polarizer was part of the deal every day. I, sometimes I didn't use 85s, I just let it go blue and shoot a grayscale. Polarizer was, a, was a, you know, naturally a great help. If you shoot in the right direction, those clouds just jump out at you tenfold. Uh, no color grads. Didn't need it. Didn't want it. I knew I had a DI coming in 2K. Although I never do any of the lighting at all, knowing that I have a DI. I, I know that no matter what I can fix later, I, 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 I don't let it get that far. Uh, you know, if a wall's got... If wall has to be flagged, it has to be flagged. I know I can do that digitally later, just blast it low, you know, keep it, bring it down. But I, you know, I like to, I get it all done. So in the time that's allotted, if I'm ahead of the game, which I like to be, I always have time to fix stuff that I could probably clean up in the DI later. But, you know, I don't want later, you know, uh, I want now and, and, and we all want now rather than later, but uh, you know, it's a great tool to have naturally, but, uh, you know, you don't want to depend on that kind of stuff to bring down the faces. You want to like the faces the will not like the faces the way you want. And then, you know, not say, oh, I can bring that down later, you know, or this, that, or bring it up later, which is even harder. Uh, you get a chance to revisit some of your strokes and, uh, usually it's very beneficial. It's like the old days, the Ursula or the Da Vinci on videotape. You just fix it. You could fix any part of the film you want, not in mass. You can select, I, uh, isolate, and, uh, you know, do your thing there. Where did you do the DI? Out in, uh, in L.A. we did it at uh, Precision. And you said it was a 2K DI? Yeah, which, you know, there is a 4K DI. <laughs> 
which is better quality and, and your film can handle more stress because that's what you're doing. You're stressing somewhere along the line to, you know, whether you're fixing focus, you know, it's not just a, a give me. And I tell you something, when you see it projected, we see dailies on non-digital, everything looked great. When you project it, boy, you get an, you get an eyeful. You get an eyeful as to what you did, what you didn't do. How did you see your dailies? Were they film dailies? No, no film dailies. Just, uh, you know, I wanted naturally, you know, print a roll and project it somewhere just to look at it. But time was the essence, you know, it's just, it became, you know, it's a low budget thing. You, you don't have the luxuries of, you hope lunch is good, you know, which it was. I'm just happy, you know, I'm just happy to be anywhere. Naturally, you hope, you, I did a good film. I must, if I may take a bow, thank you very much. But uh, I did a good film, you know. I always joke, film's great, lighting sucks. But it's a joke because the film is first. If people like the film, then the photography will tiptoe in like in a hockey game and pick up the garbage, you know, and score, so to speak. If the film doesn't go anywhere, all your good work doesn't get seen. You're an afterthought. I don't have to win anything or nominate. Just the fact people see it. The guy pumping gas in the gas station sees it. The checkout lady sees it. The, the film buff sees it. They all thinking the same thing. I had guys pumping gas who saw Sling Blade. Made me the happiest person in the world when, you know, my goombas down in Brooklyn would see it. So if they like it and everyone else likes it, it's a home run. That was cinematographer Barry Markowitz talking about his work on the film Crazy Heart, directed by Scott Cooper, starring Jeff Bridges, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Robert Duvall, and Colin Farrell. This has been the American Cinematographer Podcast. And thanks for listening. And if you are interested in listening to more podcasts, just do a search uh, on iTunes uh, for American Cinematographer or go to www.theasc.com.